The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. Derek Peterson here with you as always. And joining me this week in his Mamba Mentality t-shirt, got your man Greg Smith. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am excellent, man. How are you? I'm good. We've, uh... <sighs> Maybe we get to cover a, a win this week. I, w- I certainly hope so. You don't think so, though. We'll get to that later. So we're going to talk about predictions later. I'm going to throw Greg under the bus now, though. Uh, we'll talk about predictions for the upcoming Nebraska-Purdue game later on the podcast. I will have an interview with Atreya Verma from the Purdue Exponent, covers the Boilermakers. We'll have an interview with him here shortly on the podcast. That interview was really good. Um, Atreya's got a lot of good things to say. And if you recognize the name, it's because he was with us on the podcast uh, a couple months ago when Purdue had their spring game. He came on and talked about kind of what he saw then. Um, we'll catch back up with him and, and see how Purdue is looking to the start of this season. Hasn't been as they expected. They're off to a 1-3 and three start, but they won their last game last week against Boston College. Just blew them off the rails, um, which was unexpected by a lot of people. That was a good Boston College team. Um, Greg and I this week are going to talk about something near and dear to my heart. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Yes, we're going to talk about practice. Practice last week, Greg, uh, as we have been told by several coaches now, was trash. It sucked. <laughs> it was terrible. Troy Walters basically was like, yep, it sucked. It was terrible. And it was funny because when we talked to Scott Frost last Thursday, he was in a very, very bad mood. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew what that meant. Um, or at least we had inclinations of what that meant. And somebody asked him, like, did you guys have bad practice? And he was like, no, it was fine. And then we get to the game, and they get blown out 56 to 10. And then after the game, Scott's like, yeah, you asked me last week, or you asked me Thursday, and I didn't want to say it, but we had a terrible practice. So one of the themes this week, because I guess we have themes each week um, about what we talk about. Last week it was culture. This week it has been practice. Nebraska has started strong the first three weeks, but they have not finished practice strong. What do you make of that? Uh, first of all, I find it odd. Um, let me to, to backtrack just a quick second to what you said about Troy Walters and him flat out saying the practice sucked. Like, even though we knew that that Thursday practice sucked because Scott told us on Saturday, it still caught me off guard that Troy was so blunt about it um, and his me- media availability this week. Um, it's I, I don't know 100% of what to make of it, except for the first thing that kind of came to mind is, is is the transition of how this team practices 
is it a little more difficult to adjust to than people kind of gave it credit for coming in, right? So if you think about it, you have a lot of players on this team that are used to doing things a certain way. Some would say a not-so-great way because of the record of the past couple of years. But they're used to doing it in their routine and the way that they've always had practice structured um, before. And now they could be hitting a wall. Like, it could be that and not just the, oh, guys aren't trying hard enough or they're not putting in enough extra time. Now, it, that doesn't mean that it's not that. It could still be some of those things as well. I tend to think it's usually in these situations a combination of a lot of things. Um, but that was kind of my initial thought is that I wonder if guys are just hitting a wall when you get later into the week. But the thing that is really concerning about that is that we know that yesterday, Wednesday, Wednesdays are always the last day that they're actually hitting each other, right? Yeah. Um, Thursday is a walkthrough. Um, it's a details day. You, you need to have those details down. So if you're not doing any physical like exertion really on Thursdays, to not have those details down at that point is pretty concerning. And I could see where coaches would be in a bad mood because of that. Yeah, who was it? One of the coaches said that. They were like, Thursday's not a physical day. Thursday's all meant or uh what was it? Yeah, Thursday's all mental. Thursdays, Maybe it was Chenander. It is that who it was? Yeah. yeah, somebody said Thursdays are all mental, so there's no reason that you should be um, lax during practice. I There are a couple ways to look at it. I wonder if – do you think the results have anything to do with that? Because we have heard from coaches that the first week of practice was the best, the second week not so much, the third week was poo-poo. Um, I wonder how much of that is just, you know, these guys worked so hard over the offseason. And this is this is bad if this is the case. But I wonder how much of it is these guys worked so hard over the offseason and then you get to week one, um, you put everything together, everything looks pretty good for the most part, and you still lose. And then week two, you put everything together and you're with a backup quarterback and then you lose again. Um, and you're going into a team against Michigan that's like, well, we got to play perfect. Like, I want – do you, do you get – do you sense that? I would say I think it's reasonable to think that. And the way the, – the reason that I believe that is because of what then happens inside of games. So if you think about in game, when things go wrong or you have that one bad play um, that goes against Nebraska, things just snowball out of control and it's, or it seems like all of the air is let out of their balloon. If that happens in game, I think it's reasonable to assume that then that's happening on a larger scale during the week and that you did take all that extra work. Um, and even though it's it's kind of interesting because you still like Eric Janator said that they that the, the guys were starting at year what 0.5 or 0.75 in terms of strength and conditioning Scott Frost if you go all the way back um, to his talks about conditioning um, and at the beginning of fall camp or maybe in the spring even said that they didn't go as hard as they wanted to go in uh, winter conditioning because guys weren't quite ready for that because they were so, sending dudes to the hospital that too um, but if you think about that the guy were working harder than they had before, but it still probably wasn't to the level where it's going to be, say, this winter. Um, and then you take into a fact that they do all of that work, don't see the results come out of it on the other side. Yeah, I could see them being really discouraged by that. But that, I think, is in a nutshell what this program has been and something that they've got to find a way to get away from. Because you can't, 
I understand that it's difficult to get over that mentally, um, mm-hmm. but to be a better football team and a better football program overall, they're going to have to find a way past those sorts of things where that bit of adversity knocks them completely off course because right now the, se- the season is spiraling out of control because it didn't start off well is kind of what it feels like. Spiraling out of control feels like such a dramatic a dramatic thing to say. Like, I don't think it's spiraling out of control. Like, they got a chance to win this weekend. All, uh, apologies to the oversensitive Purdue fans that are going to jump into the mentions, <laughs> but Purdue is a winnable game. Newsflash. It is. They have a chance to win the football game. <laughs> That's all you're going to say? <laughs> yes, they have a chance to win the football game. Uh, I, and and I want to preface this by saying that I don't think every single player on the team is like, ah, oh, well, we've lost three games. I'm just going to stop working. Like, I don't no, think I don't that's think the that's case. The I think case there's, a, there's a handful of guys. Um, but that's an issue. I wrote about this in my column this week. Like, that's an issue. Like, you shouldn't need a Nebraska win for you to work hard. Like, these guys won 13 games last year. They played 13 games, and they won 13 games. Like, they haven't – they hadn't – up until this season, this coaching staff hadn't lost in over a year. Mm-hmm. Like, you should not need to beat Michigan on the road in your first season with this new staff to be like, yeah – these guys uh, know what they're doing, and I should actually listen to them. Like, that's an issue if, if that's not the mentality. I never understand it. That is something, and I get that it, it's human nature for some people, and this is not, again, preface it by saying that it is not a 100% across the board that all guys are not going back to last week's um, or two weeks ago's buzzword buy-in, that all guys are not buying in. I do think that there are definitely the majority of the players have bought in, but I just don't understand. Like you said, you saw the success um, of the staff um, last year. You've seen some of the things that they've done in other places to not immediately say, okay, we weren't very good doing it X way before. We need to completely toss that and do it their way to at least see what happens. But maybe some of those guys that did that didn't see those results like we were just talking about, and then it completely turned. But it's still that's still strange because, like, I think it was DiCaprio Boodle that said that everyone should basically just be saying, okay, we need to get in line and do what these guys are saying because they know what they're doing. It was DiCaprio Boodle. Yeah, so it's just – so I don't I don't understand if, if you want to take the program to another level and you do want to win football games, there should not be an issue with – following what the coaches are saying and trusting what they're saying. But that obviously seems like a, a process to get to that full, I hate saying this buy-in. I, I got to figure out a different word to say. But you, you shouldn't, it, it's a process. Commitment? Commitment. Okay, commitment. What's a different word to use? I, we can go with that. I just don't want to say buy-in anymore. Okay. You just done with that? Yeah, for right now. Okay, okay. So practice last week was terrible. Well, not, not the whole week. Monday and Tuesday were fine. Wednesday was okay. Thursday was terrible. Then they got slaughtered by Michigan. Practice this week, uh, by all accounts from the players, Monday was, like, one of the most intense that they've had. Mm-hmm. Tuesday and Wednesday were, like, not really talked about by the staff, which I guess that means that they were okay. They were acceptable by their standards. Scott said Thursday – we're recording this on a Thursday. Scott said today, Thursday, the practice was better than last week. Mm-hmm. How do you what do you how do you expect that to translate to the field Saturday? Because Scott said they're working hard enough; the results should start to translate over the field. Where where can we where do we see those? Because like you said, Thursday's all I mean it's mental; it's a detail day, and details are the things that are nipping Nebraska in the bud right now. So where where does this this improved practice start to translate over onto the field? 
is it exactly what you just said? Is it the details? You like, so. is it is it is that? Yeah, is could that be something that we can quickly judge after the game? Really, as soon as that the buzzer sounds at the end of this game, um, they are are they sixty minutes? Now I'm back to what you guys were last week when you couldn't figure when out I how long games were. Completely forgot how long yeah. games were. Yeah, sixty minutes. Sixty minutes. So at the end of that sixty minutes, we should know um, if things improved with those details. Um, but to me, it's not the like that is the the little thing that needs to get fixed in order to get a better big picture. Um, but to me, it's about the psyche of the team. It's about whether or not, if let's say Purdue wins the coin toss, they get the football, and on the second play of the game, Rondell Moore scores a 65-yard touchdown. Will that cause Nebraska to then let the game get out of hand, or will they fight back and be able to trust the game plan um, and be able to scratch and claw and maybe pull out a victory. Like that, That's it's what I'm kind one. of looking for. It's the second one. So you think that they'd be able to bounce back from something like that early in yes, the Yes, the first one's not going to happen. Okay. The Michigan game is, is skewing perception on this team. Okay. Especially with... I can... I can I'll, I'll listen to that argument. Especially with the... The comments that Michigan defenders made after the game are like they look like they quit. Like I hate those comments. Um, th- th- that game is skewing it because Nebraska was not going to win that football game. Like the like we we talked about, we thought Nebraska had a chance. But the second they got on the field, the second you saw those two teams put up against each other on paper, it looks fine. Mm-hmm. On the field, there was they were not winning that football game. They were not. And Scott said it after the game. They're not ready to beat a team like that. They're not ready to play a team like that. The Colorado game, they were down fourteen nothing. Detroit game, they were down seventeen nothing. They fought back, and and guys after those games said if if you know if that had happened last season, we wouldn't have fought back, and we now have two instances where they have proved it on the field, which is what everybody wants to see. They don't. They're like just stop talking, prove it on the field. They've proved it on the field. I think, you know, I'm not worried about their ability to respond to adversity in football games as much as I was a year ago. I think that's I think that's fair um, to say that they they did fought, fight back, um, but did, did they not to play devil's advocate? Um, did they did they regain a lead in the Troy game? I don't believe they did. I think that in the Colorado game they went back up. They did in the Colorado game. Um, they were I do not think they had a lead in in the Troy game. Um, they obviously didn't have a, a lead in the Michigan game. Like and so I feel like we're giving them credit for doing the bare minimum in that case um which is it's tough because we do need to see incremental changes um and that and that is a that is a form of an incremental change to say that they fought back um in those first couple games i am coming over to your side on the whole the michigan thing is kind of an aberration and we can say that that game um was just not indicative of what's happened because they were so outmatched mm-hmm. i did like the scott frost threw in there uh, we're not ready to play a team like that yet um and he definitely reiterated that a couple of times yeah, so i do like word, that yeah. um but we'll, we'll see I, I think that nebraska this game is a much more evenly matched game um and i think it's one step at a time because i do worry about the big picture of so then when they play wisconsin the week after that will they just feel defeated from the beginning because that's closer to Michigan than it is Purdue in talent. Like, I worry about that because, it's like, everything to do with the mentality of this team is what really scares me right now. That's fair. The closest they got to Troy was 13-17. Okay. Uh, but that was after they had gotten down 17-0 and they got it back. They scored 13 unanswered. And that was with 
a backup quarterback and a Swiss cheese offensive line. So, yes, yes and yes. So, I, the, <laughs> the one thing that I do really like for Nebraska heading into this week, though, and, and Scott said it on Monday that Adrian is going to be the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, he said in his press con- in his um, availability on Thursday that Adrian Martinez took the majority of the ones. I think that that's a big deal. Yeah. I think it's a really big deal, actually, to have this the first time basically all season in which you're not going to have a quarterback competition building up to a game, you're not going to have the backup quarterback building up to a game, and you're not going to have a recovering quarterback making his first start since the injury against a really good defense, maybe a top-five defense in the country game. Not the first time, the second time. Second time. That happened against Colorado, and Colorado was his best showing. Right. So you are right. Yeah, so so now to have that, to just know that Adrian's going to be the guy to be able to put in a full game plan with him, um, I think is going to have a really big impact on this game. And I think that you might see that right away um, in the play calling, um, in the style, and I think the pace that they're going to try to play with offensively in this game. Sure. Let's, uh, let's move to something else. We got a question in our mailbag this week. Uh, if you're not reading the mailbag every week, you should. There's good questions and good answers that um, all of you guys that are listening and all of you guys that follow us on Twitter, um, thank you for consistently sending in awesome questions. The mailbag this week was, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. Um, we had a question in there that was basically the, uh, the three groups that everybody was worried about, the offensive line, the defensive line, and the secondary. Which of the three has looked the worst? To, to me, it's clear that it's the offensive line. Yes. Um, I'm, and, I'm, and it's it's really interesting because this also ties into something that I, I talked about this week in one of my recruiting notebooks, which is, or I think on Sunday in the recruiting notebook, which was Nebraska's number one um, need for the 2019 class needs to be offensive line. And I think that that's because I think the weakest point on this team this thus far in 2018 has been the offensive line. Problem with that is it takes a couple of years for offensive linemen, I think, to really show in your program and to really make a big impact because the number of guys as a true freshman that come in and just become instant starters and big impact guys um, are very few and far between. Um, but still, I, I think that the offensive line has been the most troubling, and it's it's – twofold and both of which are unfortunate one they're not playing well and two they don't have a lot of depth behind the guys that aren't playing well so you're not really so then you get all of these and you get these tweets I get these tweets we get the comments on the message board and on stories uh, well why don't they just give someone else a shot well if there's a large gap between the guys that are struggling on the field and the guys that aren't playing then you can't reasonably expect Greg Austin to just throw guys out there just for the sake of doing it mm-hmm. so that was a long way of saying it's the offensive line. Yeah. Let me read you my response to this question. Yep. The offensive line, and it's not even close. Secondary has been better. Defensive line has been better. The offensive line needs to step their game up. Short, sweet, to the point. They've sucked. The last two weeks, they've been terrible. And I'm talking about I'm talking about guys that we did not expect to say they're struggling. Mm-hmm. In that Michigan game, Gerald Foster got abused. Uh, Brennan Hymas got tossed aside like a rag doll a couple plays. Like yes. their two best linemen, because most people assume, most people can agree that those are their two best linemen. Mm-hmm. They got worked, and that was bad. And they got worked against Troy as well, against a smaller, uh, not as physically gifted defensive line in Troy. You good? I am. I'm, I'm thinking. No, it's it's that I'm I'm trying to think of what the issue is. It's communication. Greg Austin Austin said this this week. 
that, that Troy and Michigan did things pre-snap and Nebraska hasn't gotten communication down to be able to uh, counteract those things. So is that a system, and I, man, I wish I was over there when, when he was talking about this, Is because I wasn't. Um, was this a, is the communication problem, is that like aptitude, like football IQ, or is that struggling within the system to be able to make those checks? I think it's a little saying? bit of both. Okay. I think it's they're not, they're not quite... Um, Know, comfortable in the system yet? Maybe they they didn't learn it as fast as as the staff thought that they would. They didn't master it, I should say, as fast as the staff thought that it would. And I also think it's on the center. It's on Cole Conrad because this is the exact same issue that we had last season. That is, that is definitely true. Every when I mean, you remember when Michael Decker came in uh, mid season? One of the main things that everybody started talking about was all the communication on the offensive line is so much better. Like this is an issue that Cole Conrad has had for the last two years, and it's, it hasn't gotten better. Um, and yes, it's natural to just be like, we'll put the next guy in. The next guy's not any better. Like, Hunter Miller doesn't have any experience. I asked Trent Hickson this week, we got to talk to him, and, and I asked him, are you taking any reps with the ones? No. When was the last time you took reps with the ones? A couple weeks ago. They're not getting any. Like, and, and then that's even with I remember um, Chris Schmidt on Hillwashi Radio talked to Christian Gaylord, and he had asked Christian about how many reps he had gotten just total last year. So like, let's just think about Jovan Dewitt's um, term about the central bank of reps. Mm-hmm. Um, last year he got six reps total. He said he estimated in practice. So you're going to go from that to then learning a whole new system and still not getting a lot of reps with the ones. They get more reps with the twos, like just in general because of the way they structure practice. But I, I, it, what I mean, it's, it's slightly unrealistic that they just expect those guys to just be able to hop in and be able to play at a high level, um, That the, the guys that are backups at this point. Especially against a defensive line like Michigan. Correct. Then you add that. You might be able to do it against Troy and get away with it. But it, you just you just can't do it against Michigan, but because like, that line looks even worse, right? And even in in that Troy game, in that I still firmly believe that Nebraska thought that they'd go into that game and just outman them and just beat mm-hmm. them down physically up mm-hmm. front, um, which I, in theory, should happen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like four years from now, three years from now, even like if that game came back around and you had to run that exact same game plan, I feel like it would work. But they're, oh, yeah, they're just not ready to do that right now. And I think that that's an indictment of where the current state of the offensive line is. Um, but but it's a really tough situation because the offensive line has needed to answer the bell, and it's just not been there so far. I just want to point out that when the staff first got here and we were talking about recruiting a ton like back in January and February, like I was firmly on the bus that center and tackle were the two biggest needs in this recruiting class, and everybody called me crazy. Did I? I don't remember. I probably did. I'm not going to call you out. I don't remember if you did or not. But there were people on Twitter that called me crazy and said, no, they got to get defensive backs. they got to get wide receivers. They do. They need they skill do. position they, they need a bunch of stuff. They need guys across the board. <laughs> yeah. But they can't run what they want to run if they don't have an offensive do you Was part of the reasoning, and I'm trying to think, if I, did, I don't think I probably did not actually call you crazy, but part of my argument would have probably been that in this system the offensive line is not as important because that was a, remember that was a big talking mm-hmm. point, right? Um, hey, the offensive line just really needs to get in the way. Eh, they need to do a little bit more than that. We've seen that they need to have a base level of competence on play-to-play to allow things to develop. Otherwise, you see some of the stuff that you saw last week against Michigan, albeit against a good line mm-hmm. where, you know, Rashawn Gary, who's a potential first 
first round pick is just running scot free towards Adrian Martinez mm-hmm. and you're afraid for him. Um, or you have guys like Jerron Woodyard that get open when he finally gets his opportunity, um, but you don't have enough time to be able to stand there and deliver the football. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think that there is a large gap between what the perception was of what this offensive line needed to do and what the reality is once we saw the offense unveiled. Plus, on the flip side, with the corner situation, it's still a little dicey because they're not playing a lot of guys at cornerback. But if we make a list of problems on this team right now, I think that corners, Blackshirt Lamar included, that you're a way they're a ways down on the list before when we're really listing things out that have been issues. Like yeah, he's Lamar, been better. Yeah, Lamar has had his rough spots this season, and I've jumped on him a couple times for them, but they have been much improved. Yes. Um, the offensive line. Man, I like line, DiCaprio Boodle. He tries really hard. Yeah. Um, black shirt DiCaprio Boodle. Actual black, black shirt. Black shirt DiCaprio Boodle. <laughs> Actual Boodle. black shirt DiCaprio Boodle. 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 <laughs> Boodle. How did that even come up? Was that uh, last week again? I don't know how to talk. Yeah. Brutal Boodle. <laughs> Brutal Boodle. Now, now I'm going to be doing that because I said it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think that. you'll be okay with that. I hope you'll be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who is the last true center that they had on this roster? That they recruited. That was a big-time recruit that they had on the roster. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I'd have to look, your head. I'd, I'd really have to go back and look at it because the center play has not been great for a long time like, around here. The thought that, that the offensive line is the – the spot where you can just pull a bunch of homegrown Nebraska kids, put them in the weight program, beef them up, and throw them on the field. That's that's a fine theory, but that's what they're working with right now. There, I think it would be better if they had two or three years in Duvall's mm-hmm. weight program as opposed to just this one winter and, and summer. But at the same time, Ohio State's got six foot eight, six foot seven. I mean, they've got massive bodies on the offensive line, and they're in shape. Nebraska just has small guys that aren't as in shape as they need to be. Like, they have guards that can't pull. Which is a, a massive problem in this offense. Yeah. Like, you have to be able to do that. And it's and it's why, if you've noticed, I, every time I talk about an offensive line recruit, I, will, I do look for that now in his film. Like, it's something that clearly it's something that this staff wants um, and that they crave and need in this offense is to have athletic enough, especially guards, and even sometimes tackles. There are plays in this offense, and we saw it, I think, in the Colorado game where Brendan Hymas pulled a couple of times on plays um, because they want those guys to be able to do that because it adds another element to this offense. Um, but they're not able to do that consistently enough right now at all. No, and, and we've seen a lot over the last couple of weeks like they're trying to help their quarterback out and they're trying to help the passing game out by dialing up screens and they don't have athletic enough linemen to be able to block those screens. The timing is also bad on those. And I think Greg Austin said it was it wasn't as bad as it appeared. Um, but it just it doesn't look like both the offensive line and the running backs are in sync on that. Hasn't that been like an issue for like three years now? It has, and I'm I will really stand up. I feel like I'll stand up and clap the day that Nebraska runs a successful screenplay because it just feels like. How many times can you picture like these wayward screenplays where it was last year's debacle, um, before that um, even, or this year? Like they just never seem to go well. I don't, and, and maybe that's a lost art. Like, I just don't know. I'm sure other teams are out here running successful screenplays. Nebraska is not one of them. When it finally happens and you do stand up and clap, I'm going to make sure that everybody in the press box knows you get thrown out. This is a working press box. Please, no clapping or cheering. It's like that time that you accused me of throwing the bones. You definitely threw the bones. You definitely jumped up and threw the bones for like not. a half second. All I you said was, "All I said was, Luke, throw the bones." I did not actually throw you the bones. Totally did. Maybe I'm a mind. 
It is that is literally my one thing. Like I probably wouldn't stand up and clap because I can catch myself on that. Um, but the lack of bones being thrown over recent years really does bug me. There is a guy from uh, the last media market that I was in that would actively root for the team in press boxes, and he, nice. he has a bad reputation for doing it, uh, which is hilarious. Are you saying that I'm cruising towards that? No, you are not getting close to that. And if you know, if I've got people that I used to work with that are listening to this, they know exactly who I'm okay. talking about, and they're nodding their head right now. Like, nice. yep, we know. Um, we're going to get to my interview with Trey Vermar from the Purdue Exponent, and when we come back, we will uh, hear from Greg on why he hates the Huskers. All right, joining us now on the podcast, Atreya Verma's back. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me back. Must have done something right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for those of you that didn't listen the first time, so we had Atreya um, from the Purdue Exponent, covers the, the Boilermakers. We had him back uh, like in April uh, on the podcast to talk about Purdue's spring game. Um and he has been gracious enough to come back on the podcast to talk about Purdue's first four games. Uh, the Boilermakers come to Lincoln for a 2.30 kick on Saturday. Um, Atreya, first, I just want to kind of ask you, Purdue was in a, a similar situation. I mean, they were in the same seat that Nebraska was in. They were 0-3 to start their season. Um, you know, you had the loss to Northwestern in the opener that I think a lot of people here watched. Um, Purdue had expectations this season in Jeff Brom's second year. Um, then they lost to Eastern Michigan, and I'm blanking on the third team, but 0-3 was not the start anybody was, was expecting. Um, how did they get to that point? What what wasn't working? Well, I think it was uh, – you're absolutely right about the expectations. A lot of people came in expecting a similar season um, like the one Jeff Brom sort of had off the bat last year. Um, and I think a, a lot of it had to do with uh, a, an inexperienced defense. They lost a lot of starters, especially in the linebacking core, um, to the next level uh, and into graduation. And so you, you were playing with a really young defense. Um, and I think that, the, I mean, obviously all the losses were super close. Um, so they, were, they weren't too far off. Um, but I think a, a young defense definitely um, made mistakes. And the offense really hadn't found its rhythm yet. Um, Jeff Brom was still sort of playing around with the idea of playing two quarterbacks and doing a rotation every couple of drives. Um, and that wasn't really conducive um, to how how the offense was. It never really got in a groove, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, you know, I, I am somebody that absolutely hates two quarterback systems because of that exact reason. It just makes it so that you've got – two guys instead of one that can't get into a groove um but but since plow has been the guy uh since we're talking about the quarterbacks let's just talk about him now since plow has been the guy the last two weeks he's thrown for like 800 yards he's looked really good um what are your expectations for him heading into saturday's game because he's a guy that has, has you know not had issues going against nebraska's defense uh no uh you're you're absolutely right he's uh he sort of takes control ever since um elijah sindelar got hurt and he got the opportunities. He's taken control of the job um, outright, and he's been really good. I think um, one knowing that he didn't have another quarterback who could come in and replace him at every moment, I don't know when we've asked him about this. Uh, he hasn't admitted it um, completely, but it, he's definitely more comfortable. He knows he can take more chances down the field. Um, he's looking for big plays uh, and not just settling for checkdowns when he doesn't get his first option. Uh, he's definitely uh, stood in the pocket a lot longer. 
um, sort of weathering some of that some pressure um, in in the past two games, especially. Um, I think he's uh, he's he's definitely more comfortable um, now. But I, I actually asked him uh, the last time Purdue traveled to Lincoln uh, for the game. It was 2016, and it was uh, it was the week right after they'd fired Daryl Hazel, um, and they, it was kind of the a program sort of in the midst of a huge huge upheaval. And David Blau is a quarterback, and and he was when I asked him about that this week. He, I mean, he sort of reflected on how he, he said he's almost like ten times a better quarterback than he is now, just in terms of how well he understands the game. He feels like he's grown a ton in that in that aspect. He you know he's he's always had a decent arm, um, and been able to make plays with his feet. But in terms of just understanding where uh, how how defenses work and, and things like that, I think that was his first full season as a starter. Um, he's he he feels like he's he leaps and in, in bounds beyond um, the last time he came uh, he came to Lincoln and had to face you know that team and that and and that environment. Let's talk about um, last week when Purdue played Boston College because that was kind of an eye-opening game. Um, Purdue obviously was was 0-3 going into that game. Boston College was a ranked team um, with a, a fantastic running back, a, a guy in AJ Dillon that a lot of people said could be a dark horse Heisman candidate. Um, Purdue had given up 233 rushing yards to Mi- uh, to Missouri the week before, 600 or so yards of total offense, uh, and then AJ Dillon is held under 100 yards rushing. Boston College as a team is held to 85 yards rushing. Uh, the, that Purdue defense picks off Boston College four times in that game after just two turnovers in the the previous three games. Um, how shocked were you <laughs> to see a 30 to 13 final <laughs> score out of that game? Um, very shocked. I think, I don't think anyone really expected this result. I think we were, most people were expecting, um, after the 0-3 start to, uh, to, to, to lose that game on homecoming to Boston College and be on the road at 0-4, um, this week. It, it, it was, it was strange because you, you didn't really see, I mean, you'd seen flashes from the defense, but the week before at Missouri, they had so much trouble getting to Drew Locke, the quarterback, and he had all day in the pocket to just sit there and pick apart the secondary. And it was a complete reversal from the defensive line. Um, they had their hands up. I think two of those four picks were forced by tip balls right at the line um, by defensive ends. Um, and it's it sort of it, it spurred from, from, a, from a linebacking core led by Marcus Bailey, um, Purdue's most veteran linebacker and captain. He, he, um, he sort of led the charge in stopping A.J. Dillon um, and a lot of, lot of negative plays that sort of forced Boston College into throwing situations, um, which, uh, which, uh, which their quarterback was not comfortable with completely. They sort of rely on that pound, 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 and then hit you over the top sort of attack um, once they sort of lull you to sleep with the dominant running back, and they just never got in a groove. So I think obviously jumping out to the big lead helped, but um, that defense, uh, that defensive line, um, both in the run game and especially in the passing game in terms of just not even letting balls get past the line of scrimmage, it was – it was very surprising um, and, and an improvement from Nick Holt's side of the ball. Interesting. That's because uh, that that's not what you want to hear if you're a Nebraska fan getting ready for this game because that's been an issue for Nebraska is winning the battle at, at the line of scrimmage, particularly Nebraska's offensive line versus whoever they're playing in their defensive line. Um, so it, maybe that's that's a spot that we're going to have to watch um, this Saturday. It, I don't know how much you have gotten to see of Nebraska so far, um, but you know, obviously they've got the 0-3 start. Um, they've been close in the first two weeks against Colorado and Troy. 
had the blowout obviously last week against Michigan to open Big Ten play. Um, but this is a team that is kind of, or these are two teams I should say, Purdue and Nebraska, that have kind of followed similar storylines to begin the season in the sense that you know people, ex- people didn't expect an 0-3 start. Um, people expected things to look a little bit better. Um, Purdue last week against Boston College, I think the at least the perception here was that Purdue was a team that needed a win. Purdue was a team that, you know, nobody wants to start 0-4, and, and the thought was that you cannot start 0-4, and, um, and Purdue had their backs against the wall, and they pulled it out, they got a win, they dug deep, and, and they, they beat a good Boston College team. Um, I think that is kind of the situation that everybody is looking at Nebraska right now. Um, you know, backs against the wall, 0-3, and now they got to beat a good Purdue team. Would you would you would you say that that was kind of how the team approached that game last week? I mean, what was the the mood of the team heading into last week? Was it that you know, you know, this is this is it? We got backs against the wall. We got to win this game, or was it something else? I think um, there was definitely a little bit of, uh, of extra pressure in terms of knowing that an zero and four start pretty much knocks out any hope of making a bowl game and any of the, uh, you know, the goals that the team set at the beginning of the season. So, I mean, that was absolutely present. Um, I think there was a, a surprising amount of confidence, confidence from the team on both sides of the ball, simply because the losses were so close. I mean, you had three losses with, I think, a, a difference of like eight points combined. And in two of those losses, um, the game, you know the the, the game winning uh, field goal that the the last drive of the game was extended by really really stupid penalties. I mean just like unsportsmanlike and uh, you know ex- unnecessary roughness penalties at the end of games so that would have killed drives and and sealed the victory for Purdue. So it felt like yes they were all losses, but they also felt like uh, self forced you know mistakes that that could be fixed. So I feel like the team sort of uh, understood that they weren't that far off, which gave them a little bit of confidence. They knew they were doing some things right. Uh, I, but I have to imagine that that sort of desperation is, uh, is, is where Nebraska and probably Nebraska fans feel, feel right now um, staring 0-4 in the face. Sure. Parallels between these two teams just keep coming. Yeah, that, that Northwestern loss. I remember watching that game. Um, Lorenzo Neal, I think, is, is who got the – the yeah. unsportsmanlike conduct penalty or the whatever that was, unnecessary roughness or whatever it was at the end of the game. They lost that game by four points and it had a, a third down drive extending penalty on defense and Nebraska lost its opener by five points and had a third down drive extending penalty on defense. So that's uh Right. That's, that's, yeah. that's funny that we've got <laughs> crazy. two teams that have started so similar. Um, what are you looking? What matchup on the field on Saturday are you going to be keeping uh, the closest eye on? Is is there a a spot either on on Nebraska's offense that you feel like Purdue can take advantage of, or or a spot that you know Purdue is maybe a little susceptible to being attacked, and and you're wondering if Nebraska can get after them there? I mean, what where where's a, a matchup that you're looking at? Well, I, I'm still. I feel like there's still question marks in Purdue's secondary. Um, I think uh, when given time and in, in, in facing a, a decent line, or if the defensive line just doesn't bring it, any pretty much any quarterback in the Big Ten given time against this Purdue secondary, secondary, I feel like can have success. Um, so I'll. I would. I would love to see how Martinez handles. You know, dealing with. You know, let's say. You know, there is. 
uh, he has time. If he, I have a feeling he'll he's talented enough to from the little bit that I've seen that he, he should have be able to have success against um, that that Purdue secondary. There's still a lot of young players. They're rotating people in and out. Um, they don't really trust their veterans at cornerback. Um, they're often putting in redshirt freshmen um, that are talented but very raw. So I, I would love to. Uh, I'm interested to see if um, if the Nebraska O line could sort of give Martinez enough time. Um, to 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 take advantage of that um, sort of raw Purdue secondary. Now I know Nebraska's had line issues this year, so I, uh, obviously that's a question mark. Uh, but I think that might be the uh, a key thing to watch. Okay. So that's is is that what's I mean what's the key for Purdue to win this game? If you had to boil it down to one thing that Purdue has to do to leave Lincoln with a win, what, what do you what is it? Um, I would say. You just have to manage uh, David Blau's uh, accuracy. Um, I think that uh, Purdue, what, what we've seen from the last two weeks is that Jeff Brom is willing to just throw the run game out the window and just say, all right, David, you're going to throw the ball 60 times today um, and we're going to ride or die with your arm. So I think if, um, if we see the David Blau that we've seen in 2018 and we don't see the David Blau that um, we saw in 2016 who led the Big Ten in interceptions, um, I think as long as he keeps takes care of the ball and doesn't throw um, uh, picks, I think that might be that might that might be enough for Purdue to hang on. Um, but but I would I would say I mean I, I mentioned the defense is young, the offense is re- also very young. Um, they they have a lot of shifts, um, newcomers on the offensive line, and obviously um, a, a wide receiver core that's led by Rondell Moore, who's a true freshman. So uh, it's a new, it's a it's a brand new environment, first road game for a lot of these guys, and Nebraska is not an easy place to play. So um, I would not be surprised if that's also a huge factor. So I feel terrible saying this, but until you just mentioned his name, I had completely forgotten about Rondo Moore. We almost made it through like 15 <laughs> minutes of talking to you without talking about like the best player on their offense. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's crazy, man. Like that that kid is fast. Yeah, let's let's talk about him, I, because I don't think we talked about him when when I had you on uh, for the spring game. Rondo Moore is <laughs> he's a dude. What I mean, how, how does Nebraska slow him down? Is there a way to slow him down? I think the, the he he he, had, he hasn't shown any like weaknesses per se. He did have a he did have a rough game in in week two when Purdue played um, Western Michigan or East, Eastern Michigan. Um, and I think he was dealing with a sort of nagging injury, which uh, they didn't disclose specifically. But, I mean, the, the, the drop-offs that we've seen, that, that I've noticed at least, is um, sometimes he'll get, uh, you know, tired in the, in the second half, right? He, he, they're, they're putting a lot of workload through him, whether it be on the outside as a, or on the inside as a slot receiver, and they also run a lot of jet sweeps for him. Um, and, uh, and Rondell told us, uh, I guess yesterday or two days ago, um, at media that, um, Jeff Brahms put in a, a couple new wrinkles, a couple new packages, um, to try out this week. So they're like, they're actively building the playbook around him because they realize how talented he is. Um, and so I, I just, I have to wonder about how much his, uh, how much his workload can really increase. He's already getting a lot of targets. And he loves it, by the way. I mean, he, he's all for it. That's the, he, he's not going to shy away from it. But um, I, I have to wonder, he is a true freshman. Uh, he's got a pretty small frame, about 100, 195 pounds maybe. 
Um, and so I, I had to wonder if that's going to wear down on him at all. If obviously getting physical with him, wearing him down, um, and hopefully he can't, you know, bust out a 70-yard run in the second half, that, that would probably go a long way. So as you were explaining that, I was thinking back to, like, 10 years ago, Dwight Howard is playing with the Orlando Magic, and it was a playoff game, and they were playing the Atlanta Hawks, and the Hawks just took the strategy of basically – we are going to let Dwight Howard do whatever Dwight Howard wants to do. We're going to let him tire himself out later in the game, and we're just going to shut down everybody else. Is that? I feel like that might be what Nebraska has to do. Just let Rondell Moore tire himself out, run for 400 yards, don't let anybody else do anything, and you got a shot at the end of the game. Might be the only way. That, that I mean, that's, it's definitely worth a shot, right? I mean, <laughs> Purdue doesn't have any um, wow wide receivers or other, you know, home run threats like he does. Um, they have a decent group of running backs and they have a couple of Juco, uh, transfer wide receivers that came in last year that, that have grown, that are better, but they are not, um, nearly as capable as, as Ron Dale is. So, I mean, if you can sort of shut down that part of the game and then force Purdue to run the ball more than it would like, or more than Jeff Brown would like, um, I think that, that that that's pretty that's a pretty solid recipe for success. I would imagine. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody would be too happy with giving Rondo more 400 yards total, total offense. I don't think that would work as well as it would in basketball. Um, let's <laughs> let's get a prediction from you for this game. Who wins? What's the score? And why? Um, I, I think it's going to be a high scoring affair. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see points on both sides. Um, Purdue on the road, uh, first time. Uh, I'm a little wary uh, to pick them. I think it'll be close. Uh, I guess I'd say maybe a 30-27 Purdue win. Um, that I guess that that'd probably be my prediction. 30-27? to 27? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's about where, uh, where most people are in their 30s uh, that I've seen. So you, uh, that would be interesting for Purdue's case to avenge kind of what felt like a a hard loss last season on, on the last second touchdown from Stanley Morgan um, and definitely would not be fun uh, from my standpoint to write about an 0-4 team. People would not be happy. Right. That game last year was crazy. That was uh, and they intentionally burned that secondary a lot. Yeah, he did. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. Yeah, he threw for like 400 yards in that game if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was something crazy like that. He, he had a night for sure. He did. Well, uh, maybe we'll get another shootout. That'd be fun. Get a shootout after not seeing a ton of offense from Nebraska the last two weeks. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, Matreya, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Everybody that is listening, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. I will link to his profile in the description on site. Um, Read his stuff. Matreya, thanks for coming on, man. I enjoyed it. Hey, it was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Derek. Have a good one. There he is. That's Atreya Verma, uh, Purdue exponent. Follow him. I will link to his Twitter account in the description on site and give him a follow. He's, 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 he knows what he's talking about, which is more than I can say for the guy sitting across from me right now, which is Greg Smith. <laughs> That's not nice. It's <laughs> not nice. You're supposed to build up your guest. I just want to point out. No, no. <laughs> that no. is not how we're doing things no, no, around. That's here. not how we do this. Okay. It, because because routinely I'm saddled with like you and Jacob Padilla. 
What is th- wait a second, this is getting worse. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, now we're both trash? Like, is everyone trash? Well, I, I mean, the last time Jacob came on the podcast, he caused the mics to stop working. So That did happen. And I have done nothing differently over the last two weeks, and they have both worked fine. And Jacob has not been here. He That's the, the only not so magic touch. Not so magic touch. Let's talk about why you hate Nebraska. Okay. Okay. Oh, just go. <laughs> um, yeah, talk about. No, no, no. I mean, before we started recording, <laughs> talk about. Talk, talk about, about this. Before we started recording, uh, you were talking to me about how you wanted to bring this up. Yeah. Um, and I think that you should just dive right into it. So you've got, you don't, you're not too high on their chances to win this weekend. I am not. Okay, I'm, I'm very low. Um, I think that we, was it was it the mailbag where we were asked what, percent chance we gave yeah and you said 35 to 40 and i wanted to go lower the only reason the only reason i didn't go lower is because i do not want people being angry like you are right now (laughs) this death glare that you're giving me right now like to be totally honest um and and i've alluded to this a lot during this podcast today i am very concerned about the psyche of this team like I, i really am because i don't like i don't necessarily agree with you that if Rondale Moore scores that 65-yard touchdown to start the game off, that Nebraska will just bounce back. Like, I just and there's, and that's even before we get to all of the litany of little things, and big things, that Nebraska has to clean up um, for a full 60 minutes, the game's our 60 minutes, um, to be able to win the football game. Like, it's just... You're never going to let me get over that. No, I'm, I never am. I laughed so hard when I heard that when I was listening <laughs> back to it. When I was on the late high school game. So, like, I just, I'm, I'm, I did not, this is surprising to me. I did not expect to get to this point this season because while we all kind of assumed that there'd be some bumps and bruises along the way during year one of Scott Frost, um, I don't know how much of this has to do with their coaching ability of the staff or, frankly, how much of this has to do with the talent level on the team. Um, and it's really hard to pinpoint how to improve a team's overall psyche. Is why, as you say so eloquently, I hate Nebraska this week. <laughs> this week, qualifier <laughs> at the end week. of it. Yeah. So if they blow out Purdue, like let's say they, it's like forty-six to ten, mm-hmm. forty-six to seventeen or twenty-one or something like that. Like, does your perception of them change? Yes. That would, that would be a great step in the direction of, hey, this team can now take a punch and is able to actually bounce back and win this t- a type of game that's very winnable. It is winnable. Um, they have the ability to do that. Show, show some respect to Jeff Brom. I am showing respect to Jeff Brom and that 35% oh that, <laughs> that we gave um, on the side. I've showed a lot of respect to him. Um, but I would argue, and I think correctly, if you think that they are going to bounce back and blow out Purdue, what in the history of Nebraska football over the last, say, 10 years has given you that inclination? Because I, I don't think that, right, because I don't, and like I said, I don't think this is a Scott Frost and his staff problem or a talent problem right now. It's a mental issue that this team has to get over, and I'm not sure we gave that enough like credit for how big of an undertaking fixing that portion of it was. And probably because it's hard to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 they're not going to blow Purdue out this weekend. I don't think that. I, if they win by 10, I'll be surprised. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, Luke Gifford said this after the first game. Like, they got to learn how to win again, which is very much true. Um, but I don't 
I think there's a little bit of a psyche issue. There's a little bit of a mentality issue, and just the, you know, Scott said they feel a little snake bit. Mm-hmm. I think that is accurate. I think talent is more of the issue. And so the, it's a and talent. They, so they it's a talent a to be it. able to execute the scheme. It's a it's a talent in places where you need talent. Okay. Because like, they've got talent at wide receiver. Yes. Mm-hmm. They've got talent at the quarterback spot. They've got talent at the running back spot. They have talent at one of the linebacker spots. Um, wait a second, wait a second. Time out. They've got talent, I think, at two of the inside line- Inside linebacker. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. We're going to break that down. I yeah, like yeah. both outside linebackers. Okay. They're, yes, they're I really, I'm really happy. Though Gifford disappeared last week. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen again. Um, it was, yeah, I, I don't see that happening again. That was weird because I didn't notice that as much watching it the first time as I did the second time where I was like, huh, I don't remember him. I did because Caleb one. Tanner was on the field in the second quarter. I was like, what is going yeah. on here? Like, I don't, that felt, that feels like an aberration similar to the score of the game. I agree. Um, I think it's, and not to just pile on to Mike Riley, but what was his biggest plus? as a head coach it was recruiting was it not it was supposed to be like most people were like he can recruit yes and he can recruit he can, he can build he relationships can recruit California yep. and when people have talked about him since it's been like oh well he had pretty good recruiting classes how many of those kids are still here and how many and to take another step how many of them are high level high level contributors yeah and then how many are contributors there's a lot of layers there that um you really, it, it, when you really say them out loud and think about them, you go, man, I don't think that recruiting was as good as some thought it was at the time, um, and particularly on the offensive line. Like there, are, and this may be a situation, and I think it's time that we say this out loud, a situation where on that offensive line there were numerous four stars that came into this program under Mike Riley, right? And you don't hear about any of them almost, right? That's a problem. Either guys were misevaluated, so they were overrated coming out of high school, and this actually happened a little bit towards the tail end of Bo too. So this is—it's been what a was John Rarity? Small enough time, right? He's—he's he's case case number one. Paid Where is he at? Where are you? I have not until you just said his name. We have not heard anyone say his name. No, like I, I almost—I almost want to ask. Um, Greg Austin specifically about him just to see if he remembers who he is. Like, it's not, it's weird. Like, you just don't hear about him. So I think that there's a, enough of those guys to where you do have the situation where Bo Wilson was a high three-star player coming out of Missouri, and then you have what Trent Hickson and Hunter Miller are the next two guys up that were two walk-ons that are really just getting their feet wet in the program now. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's not a great sign for some of those guys. Side note: I would not be surprised if then a couple of those guys end up moving on, and then you see a bigger um, recruiting class of offensive linemen in this group. I still think six, maybe even seven. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough to feel good about that offensive line at this point. Like it feels like there's a chance that Desmond Bland can walk onto this team next year and start. He's so one. important. He's so important. I don't. I don't think there's. I, don't, I think you could say that there's not just a chance. I think it's very likely yep. that that happens. He sticks in the class. He's he's very important to what's going on there um, because I think that if he he possibly could be a center 
uh, for Nebraska next year. I think that that might end up being his best position. So if he can slide into center and kind of fix some of those woes right God, away, so good. Um, that would be great. The second part of that plan is you need to land one of those big offensive tackles so that you can then slide Matt, Matt Farniak back to guard at right guard next year. So you can essentially, i to do this off the top of my head, have Brendan Hymas, Bo Wilson, Desmond Bland, Matt Farniak, and question mark, Juco right tackle is what I think the plan is right now, as of now. But you've got to land those guys. You've got to land them. Yeah, you've got to land them and keep them in the boat. (laughs) I feel better about that line right now, not with a question mark right tackle, than I do about the one that they have. (laughs) Which is not a great sign. Here was was the point that I was trying to make with the recruiting thing, though. Um, Who was the crown jewel of Riley's class? Of Riley's classes? And I asked that because there are crown jewels, and there are crown jewels that stay. And when yeah. you can make that distinction, that's an issue. And the guy, who's the guy amongst them that stayed? Is it Ty John Lindsay? And if it is, he has not looked good. It, man, that's a tough, that's a really tough question because there is, <laughs> and it shouldn't be. Um, Ty John Lindsay, the, off the top of my head, Ty John Lindsay, Lamar Jackson, Tristan Jebbia. Would be the were the three guys that came to my mind right away. Two of those three guys have not lived up to their four star billing. The other guy is no longer here. Yeah. So the best player that they've had would then be J.D. Spielman, but he was not a high profile guy. No, and when I say crown jewels, I'm not talking about like the best player that they got from a class that has turned into the best. I'm talking about yeah, you're talking about who was the biggest recruit. Yes, who was the biggest get when you look at their class? Who was the guy that was the biggest get that that everybody was like, see, Riley can recruit. I would probably Tristan Jebbia because he's a quarterback and he was a big, he was prolific in high school. And he never threw a pass here. Yeah. Who was the other quarterback? Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. Threw what? Ten passes here. I feel like, are we, am, I, am I forgetting someone? But that might be. And then, yeah, then Lamar Jackson, the <laughs> Keyshawn. But you know what the thing, the not great thing about this discussion is, honestly, mm-hmm. we could probably rattle off five, six, seven, eight guys that were near gets, right, that would have ended up being really good or that are currently playing at other schools that are playing well. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole bunch of those near misses as well um, in really key spots. We're talking defensive backs, wide receivers, offensive line. Well, two of them right off the top of my head. Joshua Moore is catching touchdown passes for Texas. Bookie Radley-Hiles is starting for the number five team in the country. Yeah. Like the Josh Moore thing, and I wrote about that. The Josh Moore thing really, it hurt me, but I was happy for him because we did get to know him last year. Mm -hmm. But like, and so that's very cool for him. But man, that stinks. Like it it does because there are a lot of guys I I feel like that are going to have really good college careers elsewhere, Um, whether or not they didn't come here or they transferred out. um, That Nebraska will never see the fruits of that labor of bringing those guys in. But you can't have that big of a miss rate on your big-time recruits. If you're crowned, if we named the three crown jewels of the Mike Riley recruiting tenure and two of them have not lived up to expectations and one of them is not here, like, that is how you get in the situation that they are in with the talent. That That's exactly how you get there. Since we're talking about recruiting, who's coming this weekend? <laughs> um, a few guys. <laughs> so, Quentin Newsom, uh, one of Nebraska's defensive back commits, um, will be in town this weekend for his official visit. Which he a, trusts the process. He does trust the process, which is always good to see. But like I was telling Aaron Sorensen, um, 
I think two days ago when we talked about, hey, maybe we should start thinking about wondering if guys are really starting to waver or not. I wish we could go one season without having to have that discussion. That'd be great. Um, but also, uh, Jeremy James, an offensive lineman uh, who's currently committed to Ole Miss, will also be on campus. And they're working on a couple of other guys that just have not been able to confirm them yet. I am the one that had the rookie mistake. I don't know if you guys heard that, but my phone just started vibrating. I hope you guys did hear it because Derek's face is just like, oh, no, not me. No. I got God. Ruin, I, I, I threw off your groove. You did. About you know what happens when my groove gets thrown off. I just to get go all thrown out of here. Yeah. I'm sorry, but you have thrown off the Emperor's groove. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I wonder, where do I go from there? What I was thinking when you were talking, I wonder what it must be like to be Nick Saban where you can call a kid be like, here's your scholarship. Never talk to him again for the rest of the season mm-hmm. and feel confident about your ability to land him. Or you, the only, or the reason that that kid would not end up in your class is because you found another guy that was better. You found you another future second round draft yeah. pick that was yeah. better than him. I do wonder what that's like. That must be yeah. nice. I, Scott Frost would love to feel like that very soon. I'm, I, I'm sure having a game during your bye week and missing out on those recruiting days wouldn't, wouldn't matter as much if you were in that situation. No, it would not. But, man, that's going to be a very interesting subplot. Yes, I don't know how they're going to do how they're going to make that happen um, because now that putting that Batum Cookman game is great for if they want any chance of going to a bowl game. Um, but as far as recruiting goes, that makes that very difficult because that would have been a prime week to get down to Florida, to get out to California, get to Texas, um, East Coast. Mike Dawson gets out to the East Coast quite a bit. Shenander gets to Arizona a lot. Like those places, it would have been very nice to do that. You probably can't do that if you've got a game even if it's a game that you think that you you know you have no chance of losing sounds like an interesting topic for an upcoming greg smith recruiting notebook it, it does it does plug, we've plug, already plug. talked about actually i already talked about it in the recruiting notebook greg started up his recruiting notebook on hailvarsity.com and it's a daily occurrence and you should read it even Thank though you. i think he thinks that i don't read them i do do you read them and you should be reading them as well yes let's uh god this is a long podcast let's uh Let's get a prediction from you. Oh. <laughs> it's time. Oh, are you going to actually time. make me give one? You didn't make Aaron give one last week. so We didn't? Uh, didn't she try to we like wiggle off the vine? No, no. no. She definitely gave one. She gave she one? She did not want to give one, but she definitely gave oh. one later. Um, I'm going to go Nebraska 24, Purdue 40. Oh, my God. What? I don't – I'm telling you, what? I don't like this. I don't 40 like this. points? I don't like it, dude. I'm telling you. Listen, let me give you the reasoning. One, as I've talked about all podcasts, oh my I don't goodness. like the psyche of Nebraska going into this game. And that's before you get to the fact that I really don't like the matchup for Nebraska. David Blau, I believe, has thrown 119 passes against Nebraska and has lit them up, completely lit them up. Only one interception, right? Um, and that with those 119 career passes against Nebraska. I think that Jeff Brom is a very, very good coach. I think he has a good scheme that goes perfectly against what Nebraska has been doing, and Purdue will be able to hit for big plays. I just don't. And their defense is aggressive as well, which will cause Nebraska to have some turnovers. Unfortunately, I, I see another bad loss for Nebraska. Holy crap. I was not expecting that. Like I, was, like, I see that. I can see that in your face. Oh, my you goodness. You don't know where to go from I don't. There. I really don't know where to go from here. Um, what is your prediction, Derek? Oh, not that. My <laughs> God. 
Mine is definitely not 40 to 24. Okay. Mine is definitely like Nebraska 37, Purdue 31. Okay. Like that's definitely what I'm leaning towards. Like Purdue is not going to ring up 40 on Nebraska in a win. It, there, I mean, there's a path there. If David Blau throws for another, has another 400-yard game. And... Yeah, if Nebraska collapses. Do you think that's going to be the point that we hit? Hopefully not. Um, I think that it's – I don't think – I mean, I could see that happening. I could see it either way. I honestly could see Nebraska getting blown out. Um, I could see them coming out and blowing Oof. Purdue out. Like, I could talk myself into that. I just don't think that it's reasonable at this point, based on the results we've seen, to expect anything other than Nebraska to lose this game. What would that be? That would be one, two, three, four – Five, six, seven straight home losses. Mm-hmm. The last time they won a whole game was last September was against Rutgers. Rutgers. Oh, that would be so bad. Did I give my score prediction? Yeah, 30, 37 31. 31 Nebraska. Okay, cool. We covered that. We covered everything else. Uh, shout out to Atreya Bama for coming on the podcast. It was great. Once again, um, give him a follow, follow his stuff. We will have plenty of coverage through the weekend on HailVarsity.com. Um, hopefully, have a win. Otherwise, I will be sad, and I will not try. Um, So for your sake, I hope it's a win. (laughs) For my sake, I hope it's a win uh, for my job security status. Um, We will have, like I said, plenty of coverage. Uh, There's volleyball this weekend. There is soccer Thursday night. They might play. I should know this, but I think they play later this weekend as well. Um, Basketball is starting to get kicked up. We have plenty of basketball coverage on site from Jacob Padilla. We had the sights and sounds from the first practice. Greg Smith's going to have recruiting stuff. Brandon Vogel is the only guy from Hale Varsity that we haven't plugged yet. So read Brandon Vogel's hot reads every single day. Read his columns post game. They're always fire. Um, Brandon is amazing. He is. I think that's it. I think I covered everything. Read HaleVarsity.com. Follow Hale Varsity on Twitter. Follow Hale Varsity on Instagram. Varsity. There I go. <laughs> brutal, brutal. <laughs> We will be back next week with another podcast in which hopefully I can start to pronounce things properly. Thanks, guys. Bye.